All believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. That's our theme verse from Acts chapter 4, verse 32, for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue in our series, Church Empowered, with this week's episode titled, Oneness. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch, or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. You want revival to come? Are you willing to play a role in that arrival? That's right. That's right. Hang on. I might challenge you to that. Today we continue our series, Church Empowered. And as you heard David's announcement, as we can consider returning to on-site worship as well as discipleship and fellowship, my hope and also my prayer is that we recognize what we've missed in close, intimate fellowship with one another. You know, my purpose in preaching Acts at this time, I usually have different topics and I sort of keep them and pray over them in the summer and some push back. I've been looking at Acts for a couple of years now, but felt like this was the time. And then, you know, we, we got, had all this coronavirus and the separation and all that stuff. But my hope from this and feeling that this was the right time is to challenge us to really be the church according to the model that was given to us in the scripture. The, the cultural model of church today is pretty shallow, isn't it? And it's pretty self-serving sometimes not so much God-serving, almost um, like another civic organization. But my hope is that we desire to follow the biblical model for a church community, particularly in a, a culture that sure appears to be moving away from a biblical morality. Is that fair? I've been shocked how freely politicians can lie. (laughs) And have affairs and all the rest of this stuff. Um, I've been surprised at the level of corruption. Uh, It used to be that morality was a qualifier and a disqualifier in the political realm, regardless of party. But I'm not seeing that today. So we're needed even more. Today's title is Oneness. The theme verse that I've chosen from Acts chapter 4 verse 32 is all the believers were united in heart and mind. Now what is oneness? And if you've downloaded your resources, you see it. Or if you're looking at your smartphone, I've given a little fill-in-the-blank definition. But you see it here. It's, it's a strong feeling of closeness in the spirit. And that closeness produces unity of thought, feeling, and belief. 
Now, oneness results from our finding our identity in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Not our background or our race, our ethnicity or our gender, not our social status, certainly not our political affiliation. Neither party. Not our sports teams. Not any other organization. We follow Christ's voice, not theirs. Not theirs. All these other things are divisive. You know, the reason that I don't get up here and march around about sports teams is because I think it's divisive in a church body that needs unity. And we won't find unity unless we're all headed toward Christ. Every other thing I mentioned has the potential to divide us, doesn't it? But if we're guided by Christ's words, not a political party's words, not a candidate's words, Christ's words, then we will be brought together. Not even by skin color. You know, I've, I've turned in this ancestry. Have y'all done, anybody done that? You spit in this tube. So if you're a good spitter, they'll tell you what you're from. The problem is they keep sending me a readjustment about every few months. I don't know where I'm from, really, you know. Oh, no, no, now, but you see, you got, you're a little more of this. Now you see some, you know. So even that, even looking at my DNA can't tell me where I'm from. But I know where I'm from. I'm from Jesus Christ who gave me life. And so we'll examine some outcomes from the functioning of a unified church. And here are the results of oneness in the church. First, sacrifice was practiced. I began, as you saw, with chapter 4, the first part of verse 32. I took as the theme, believers were united in heart and mind, their feeling and their thinking. And, and it, this results from the growth that we, we looked at last week. There was startling growth because there was a unity of belief and purpose. And because of a similar purpose and a belief, they knew the importance of prayer. They knew the importance of the Spirit. And so they preached boldly Spirit-filled. And as a result of that, the church expanded. Now, another effect, effect of being united in heart and mind was an appreciation to God for salvation, but also a trust in God for provision, which produced a sincere, deep concern for each other including each other's needs. Boy, now this is, this is countercultural, isn't it? That I'm more concerned about you 
than I am me. Because I can always use something new. I might need a new shirt or some new kicks or something, you know. I can always find something else I need. Can I? Can you, Linda? Always find something else. But if I quit looking so much at myself, I might discover what somebody else needs. Is that fair? And so here's what the effect was on the church. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Now here's what I believe. I believe that the more we're filled with the Spirit, it's like when the Spirit comes in, he pushes selfishness out. And we suddenly become aware that we are recipients of everything we have and that the giver is God, not my own hands. That everything we possess is given by God. The very life you live is given by God. When you're struggling with something serious, there aren't many things that matter, are there? You have God and a few loved ones and a couple of friends, and that's a full world, isn't it? And not only was it given by God, it belongs to him. Now, you don't mind giving away other people's stuff, do you? So why are we so stingy if we really believe it was given to us by God? Now, I mean, think about this seriously. I know y'all think, well, he's preaching that. It's in the verse of the Bible. Okay, let's go home. Let me see what I can buy this afternoon. But I'm talking truly. Is it God's? If it is, we won't be so white-knuckled in holding on to it for security, will we? We won't be so white-knuckled. If I truly think that what I view as mine was given to me by God, I, I will at least use it in ways that please Him. Including sharing with others. I'm going to tell y'all a story. And since I'm not naming names, I'm... I'm not insulting anybody. Unless the shoe fits. You know, I've been here 27, 28 years. So I've seen a lot of things. And a number of people who really had a windfall. Either a big inheritance or sold a business or something. You know, where they had a big windfall. And in many of those cases, the person always told me, well, we're going to make a big contribution to the church, you know, building, we might have been in construction or, or some mission project or something else. And I've heard it numerous times. You, many, how many, you know how many times it actually landed? How many do you think, Chris? Zero. Zero. I'm not saying there aren't generous people. But these big windfalls, because once they first heard it, if you, ever, if you got a big gift, it, it's sort of embarrassing at first. You know what I'm talking about? And so 
and you haven't held it yet, so you want to share it. But by the time they thought about it more and thought about all the ways to spend it and all the things, and by the time the check landed, which it might have been through a will that had to be probated or something, it was theirs. It was, you understand? I don't think we can be filled with the Spirit living like this. Do you? With a tight grip on everything. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Although they'd been told to stop. And it could have cost them their lives. And God's great blessing was upon them all. See, when we surrender to the Spirit's leading... To serve God with our lives, we suddenly experience the blessing of God. Do you know that? Well, he doesn't bless until then. No, I think he does. I think you're not aware of it. Because the more self-centered I am, the less sensitive I am to what's happening. Isn't it interesting how a change of attitude can make what you thought was an awful situation a wonderful situation? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does this sound crazy to you? It's just a change in attitude. And all the things you were complaining about, you go, this is a blessing and so is that. And this over here is a blessing. And thank God for this. When we surrender, we experience the blessing of God. And the blessing of God is what gives us peace. You know what? The word peace in the the Old Testament actually means wholeness. You could say it this way, I've got enough. Contentment. Security. Isn't it interesting how how desirable something is when it's on the shelf with a big old price tag on it? And how much less desirable it is when it's hung in your closet for a month? Verse 34, and there were no needy people among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Was that mandatory? Was it compulsory? No. But the loving unity of the church was expressed in voluntary sharing of material possessions and not little ones. Huge ones. These weren't people that owned lots of land and lots of buildings and lots of houses. It wasn't just the little unused thing that had collected dust in the closet that I don't really need. Now, 
let's think contextually, uh, time-wise, time contextually. Remember these people came to Pentecost from many different countries. You remember that a few weeks ago I taught you that. I think some of them stayed. Do you? They had come, Pentecost happened, they were filled with the Spirit. They heard preaching in their own languages. One of my really smart small group members said this. He said, I think the greater miracle was when Peter preached, they all understood him as well. We miss that, don't we? They all heard it in their own tongues, though there were lots of people talking at the same time, but then Peter preached and they still all understood it. I think they stayed and wanted to be taught. They'd been born again. They had this, you remember when you were born again, you had this ravenous hunger to know God and to know his word. And some of them lived a thousand miles away up in Rome. Some of them may have lived in Jerusalem, but they lost their jobs because they were now following Jesus as the Messiah. Others probably were local residents that were ill or disabled, but for whatever reason, they needed the church's support and they received it. And then an example of generosity is given at verse 36. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Did you know Barnabas was a nickname? It wasn't his real name. Joseph was his name. He was from the tribe of Levi. That was the priestly tribe. And he came from the island of Cyprus. He wasn't Israeli. Wasn't from Israel. Of course, neither was who else? Paul. Paul was from Tarshish, remember? He sold a field he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. Do we see others' needs as our responsibility? In the family of God. Do we see others' needs as our responsibility? Are we willing to sacrifice our own finances or personal possessions for others? Y'all, I think that our, our relationship with money, finances, possessions may be the greatest diagnostic tool revealing our appreciation for God and our trust in Him. I mean, everybody in here would say, if I said, do you trust God to provide? Everybody would say that. Oh, yeah. Well, then... Give away a couple of grand. What, what? What? What need do they have? But also our love for others. Our appreciation of what God's given us. Our trust for God's future provision. And how much we love other people. Let me tell you all this. Just to bring you all up to date about church uh, issues. Since March, you know, 
I'm thankful that so many of our people actually contribute by draft, you know, bill pay from their bank. So since March, we've been down 20%, which in one hand is pretty good. But when you consider a seven plus, over $7 million budget, and we reduced it $400,000 from the previous year just because of giving levels, we'll be short a million dollars unless giving increases. Now this, this will impact our ministry significantly. And, you know, I can't give you the percentage. I should have checked this before, but we, last year we're given about 30% to missions and benevolence giving, which is going out. But we give over 800,000 just to children in India. And you know what? We could say, well, let them, you know, we've got to pay here. We have salaries to pay here. We have bills to pay here. We have ministry here. Gosh, I hope y'all don't feel like that. I think they need twice what we're giving them, actually. We're planning to open a free medical clinic. Why would we do that? Because there are people in our community who have medical needs and no insurance and no money. And we're going to meet medical needs. We're not going to inspect green cards in order to be treated. Well, immigration, I believe all the laws, but we're talking about the souls and the livelihood and the physical health of people. But folks, we can't do it unless you give. And that means everybody on TV too. We can't do it unless we give. I think I'm probably not guilty of doing a lot of shakedowns or manipulations for money, but it's just a fact in the current day. So I'm going to ask all of you, will you ask God what you should give? And then do so. And if you say, oh, I need, what does the Bible say? Well, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 13 said we should give as we determine and do it cheerfully. What do you give? Well, I've always tithed. I thought that I, I could not lead a church if I didn't at least start off giving 10% of my income. And then other contributions and gifts above that. So um, you're not under the law to give that amount. But I think if we appreciate what we've been given and we believe God provides, we'll give. So that's what I'm asking you to do, to be like the early church and give sacrificially. Another result of oneness in the church is that sin was confronted. Chapter 5. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. And with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Now, guided by the Spirit, Peter saw through this pretense and he confronted the sin. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, remember, is the Spirit of truth. 
and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell it or not sell it as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. So how could you do such a thing like this? You, you, you weren't lying to us, but to God. Boy, that's a serious statement, isn't it? Do, are we aware that when we sin against the fellowship of believers against another Christian, it's sin against God? Ananias lied to the church. He, he lied to the Holy Spirit within him by proudly pretending to give away all of the proceeds. I mean, do you think he had to tell people he did? What do you think? Do you? Did he tell somebody? Well, yeah, he told, he told somebody. He told everybody. He was probably jealous that some other people, maybe Barnabas got attention because somebody knew he sold it and he gave all of it. So he's thinking, wait a minute, now I gave all of it too. I gave all of mine too. But he didn't have to sell it and he didn't have to give it. He just had to not lie about giving it. See, he wanted this reputation of gracious generosity. He wanted the spiritual status among the people without the sacrifice. This dishonest pretense was, was hypocrisy. And what hypocrisy does is it breaks relationships in a church. See, you need to be able to trust that I'm telling you the truth and I really am living what I'm saying. I need to be able to think that about you. That's not an unfair expectation, is it? That's a church family. I was with my daughters and wife and in, uh, in one of my son-in-laws in Asheville. That's an odd place. <laughs> I thought, everybody's hip here but me, which made me the most unique there. I thought, look at me. But you got me off track there. But... But, but hypocrisy breaks trust in a body. We're not, well, nobody's perfect. We're not talking about perfect. We're talking about deliberate pretense. That's different than I, I did something I regret. That's different, isn't it? Even that's not hypocrisy. That's honesty and repentance. And it introduces mistrust. It, it tarnishes the witness of a church in the community too. Matthew 6 tells us that. Hypocrisy, which is claiming to be something you're not or claiming that you believe something that you don't. Boy, it does something terrible in a church and in individuals. First, it grieves the spirit within you. And it quenches the Spirit's fire in a church body. Ephesians 4.30, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And so these next words are shocking, verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. 
Heart, you think heart attack? You think heart attack? Chris, you think heart attack? Well, you, well there, you waited till the end to tell you. The spirit, you were scared to say that. Well, maybe a heart attack. Maybe a heart attack. Let's see. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Why? Why were they terrified? They were liars too. (laughs) Well, there might be some of that. But see what happened is they got close to the judgment of God. They saw it on display. And it terrified them. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out and buried him. You say, well, that's a little fast, but it wasn't unusual. I looked it up due to the hot climate in Palestine and they didn't do all this embalming and all the Jews. So they would bury them quickly. And this is especially true when it was due to divine judgment. Deuteronomy 21. So in case you're wondering if he just happened to have a heart attack. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Isn't that surprising? She could come all the way in and nobody had run out to find her and tell her. They were scared to death. Scared to death. Peter asked her, what was the price you and your husband received for your land? Gave her the opportunity to tell the truth. Was, I mean, was this the price? Yes, that was the price. He gave her the chance to repent. She continued the deception. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? Testing personally within, but also in the church and others. The young men who just buried your husband are outside the door and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor. So it wasn't a heart attack on either of them and died. When the young men came in and saw she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Does this shock anybody? Carla, are you shocked? I didn't hear that. Weird stuff happens. I don't know if it's this weird. The couple was more interested in what people thought about them than they were about what God thought about them. Is that? I wonder if, we, if we're there. God is really not that real to us. They were more concerned about impressing these people than offending God. You think these two are Christians? What do you think? Lloyd, what do you think? Thought they were. Anybody disagree with Lloyd? Anybody thinks they were Christians? I think they were Christians. I'm surprised to hear you say that. No, I think they were Christians. One, they lied to the spirit. They didn't possess the spirit unless they were Christians. 
Now, God may have punished them, but he wouldn't have disciplined them unless they were his. But he dis, I think he disciplined them to produce a pure church. And this was God's judgment. See, I think the problem, Carla said this was weird stuff. I think this stuff happens. We just can't track it. Here it's written out for us. It may be happening all around us, but we don't have a Bible to identify this is what happened here. This was God's judgment. God was taking the lives of, I believe, Christians, believers, who were deliberately in sin to prevent the damaging influence on other Christians and damaging the church's witness. Because you'd see this in this community, people knew how much the land sold for. People would know what the church, what, you know, they they would know this in this community pretty quickly. Does God ever do things like this? Folks, God does. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32. Some of you have died because you're disrespecting each other when you receive the Lord's Supper. 1 John 5, 16. There's a sin unto death. God is serious about sin. It nailed his son to the cross. He gave his son so we could stop willingly sinning. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. They said, God's not playing here. See, here's a, here's, a, here's a lesson for us. The church isn't designed by God for each of us to mind our own businesses, our own business. That's very interesting to me when you hear in a church setting, someone say, that's none of your business. Or how dare you say that to me? Now, This isn't a mandate to treat each other harshly, coldly, critically, any of those things. But but our baptism, and you hear me say this when we do baptism, our baptism says to each other, I am publicly professing I am part of this family. I have access to your life. You have access to my life. I mean, you don't refuse to confront your child do you your child doesn't refuse to confront you I thought we were family see we are to be in each other's lives it's this culture that we live in that says how dare you say anything to me about my life no the bible says we're in each other's lives we owe it to each other Yes, we're responsible for providing physical needs, but we're also, we're responsible to encourage spiritual growth, which, which sometimes does require humble confrontation. The New Testament is full of passages about this, but notably Galatians 6, 1 through 3, James 5, 19 and 20, but many others beside. Gosh, we have to mature past this loving people does not mean overlooking their sin 
It means loving them despite their sin. True biblical love seeks what's best for other Christians. And what's best is to help someone walk with God in greater intimacy. Do you you believe that? But it might make somebody mad. You might not be their friend anymore. It's not friendship if you can only say positive words. That's not a relationship. A relationship has the durability to enter each other's lives. I mean, goodness, I don't, it's not parenting. I mean, there, there have been times I've, I needed to say something to my daughters. I didn't want to. I wasn't going to come out with them wanting to hug and kiss me more. But I had to say it for the good of their lives, for the good of their souls. For the, you, you understand? I had to. And if I have a blind spot, they have to say it to me too. So am I willing to humbly confront sin for the good of the sinner and the church? But we have to become convinced that God's truth is truth. That God's biblical morality is what's moral. Because culture is trying to redefine what's moral and what's immoral. You're aware of this, aren't you? A third result of oneness in the church is that signs were performed. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs. Okay, what's the, what's the Greek word? Sign. Simeon. And wonders. Teras. Among its people. The other word is dunamis, work of power. These miracles confirmed God's truth and the apostles as his messengers. So we continue in verse 12. And all the believers were meeting together regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Some translations say porch or portico, portico, the east side of the temple. But no one else dared to join them. Even though the people had high regard for them. It's almost a little humorous, isn't it? Nobody else wanted to come because as somebody over here said, they had too many hidden things in their lives. And they were scared they would come to light. Lord, deliver us from hidden lives, from hiding secrets. Now, I think this is a reference primarily to unbelievers, but you you decide for yourself, but, but these were people who had great respect for the followers of Jesus. They admired their commitment to their beliefs and, and, and they were impressed by the power of God that was displayed through them, but they didn't want to get too close because they didn't want their sin judged. Especially so severely with death. God, burn from me every bit of sin I'm hiding that I won't have to hide from anybody else. Don't you want to be that way? 
Verse 14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord in crowds of both men and women. See, I believe a church that's holy and loving toward God and toward people. Our motto, isn't it? Love God, love people. I believe that churches like that will attract people who want to seriously seek God and live transformed lives. I am not talking about legalism, churches with lots of rules. Legalism doesn't change the soul. It conforms the outside. I'm talking about when we, by the Spirit, pursue holiness and help each other. Rules don't make you right with God. They tend to make you mean and willing to hide more, don't they? So we willingly embrace each other in our weaknesses that we might escape them. Verse 15, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats. I wonder why they said beds and mats. Everybody, you said that right. That's perfect. Because only the rich had beds. The mat, the poor slept on the floor on straw mats. So that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Do you think Peter's shadow saved anybody? I mean, healed anybody? I don't think it did. It doesn't say it did. See, haven't you noticed that when, when there's anything real and spiritual happening, people get all superstitious about it? Maybe, but it doesn't say and people were healed. It just says they thought, well, I can't get to him, but I'm going to get over here by his shadow. Maybe, but they, they were so impressed by this power, but they wrongly thought Peter possessed it. But the power was still the Spirit, see? Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who possess, were possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. You know, I'm afraid some of us, and some, some churches are more um, susceptible to this than others. Some churches believe there's, you know, a demon under every bush. And some believe that the age of miracles and the supernatural is completely gone. I don't believe a demon's under every bush, but there's a few of them around is what I believe. I don't believe miracles happen always, but they sure do happen. Now, some of us may be doubtful that these miracles occur, but you know, two weeks ago, a lot of you indicated you had experienced miracles. Let me see those hands again. You have experienced a miracle from God. Look how many hands this is. It looks to me like it's more than half this room. Well, here's what, I, what I'm asking you to do. I want us to know about it. I want to collect those stories. Here's a way to do it. You can text it right now to that number. Pull out your phone, text it right now. And it'll send you a form that you can fill out later. I want us to gather these miracles Maybe we'll put them on the website, film some videos. I'm not sure all how we'll use. Depends on what we get back. Because you know what? I want us to be a people who believe God's a miracle working God today. Because I think some of it is we have gotten so materialistic that our spirituality is this little tiny sliver that might show up on Sundays and might not. And that's why to these people, Ananias and Sapphira, they were foolish. But see, the people were more real than God was. We need to be a people for whom God is more real than people are. 
It'll revolutionize each one of us individually. It'll change this church in the community. You can also visit brookwoodchurch.org slash miracle to, to locate a form if you don't have a smartphone. Here's what I believe. Now you decide what you believe. But I believe that a unified and a morally pure church, that means people striving for moral purity. Doesn't mean proud, arrogant people claiming perfection, okay? Let's go ahead and move that. A morally pure church filled with Christians who are committed to following Christ. I believe a church like that will see the power of God displayed in the body. People will be saved. Lives will be transformed. Miracles will happen. You want to be part of that? That's all? You want to be part of that? Because this is not an easy task, you know. Let's do our part. Let's bring this about. Think of, and then spiritual practice for this week. Think about the resources God has given you, whether financial, talent, time, money, possessions, and give away something to somebody that needs it. Do your memory work. Join with some people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. May we live it so we can be a church like you want us to be and we can accomplish the things you give us to achieve. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Acts 4.32. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Everything you have is God's and everything you have is on loan from God. Name several resources God has given you. Money, gifts, time, personal experiences. Name one person or organization who can benefit from one of those resources and give it to them. How can you make giving a regular practice for your small group and or family? At Brookwood, we wanna help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thank you for listening and have a great week.